highest of heights to the depths of the Verse 26 says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent, notice, and brought her to his house. I I can imagine he's probably counting the days when her mourning is over. You know, seven days. Okay, seven days. i got to get her into the house. i got to take her as my wife because there's a little bump starting to show. So David's like, i gotta, I got to let her mourn. i got to make do this right. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. We have no reason to believe that Bathsheba knew that David arranged the death of her husband. It is likely that David concealed all of this from Bathsheba. At the same time, she was partly relieved to hear of her husband's death. Although she took the time to mourn her husband's death, it wasn't long before she moved into the king's palace to be added to David's many wives. David was in a terrible place, but because David was a man after God's heart, God drew David to repentance and restoration. However, there will still be consequences to his sin in the future. Now here's Pastor Rob as he finalizes chapter 11. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab. Now, now that he sees that nothing's happening here, and he's gotta, now he's got to hatch another plan. Do you, do you ever realize what sin does? If the first, whenever you sin once, if you can't cut, you know, the next thing is you've got to sin again to cover that thing up. It's, it's always a, a, a progression like we read in James and a progression like we read in Psalm 1, verse 1. It's always a progression. We've got to hide, we've got to lie to hide another lie. And then you've got to lie, and you've got to remember that lie because you've got to remember what you told so-and-so, but you told them something different. Now you've got to text them and call them and say, what I really meant was, and then now you're getting your, your stories confused, and your whole life is a complete mess. You can't sleep. You're taking pills, trying to sleep. And then you ask yourself, is it really worth it? (laughs) If you could go back and not do it to begin with, wouldn't that have been a much better thing? Oh, if I could just have that relief of having a poison, guilty mind and and having sinned. Isn't isn't, isn't a a good conscience, isn't that worth its weight in gold? Isn't a, a good, holy conscience, isn't that a good thing? Develop that in your life, a holy conscience, one that's not defiled a conscience that's not seared by all the filthy garbage that we see in our culture, the movies, the music, the magazines that you see all over the place. Even, you know, just walking in Wegmans, you know, you can see that stuff just in the, in the you know, just the horrible, awful stuff. And everywhere you look, everywhere you look, even people that you know are doing abominable things. But a holy conscience is such a wonderful thing. And notice, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, because he's the only one going back to the, you know, the, 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 the place of the battle where they're besieging Rabbah. 
So Uriah's got this note that David wrote, and he sealed it with a signet, so he can't open it under pain of death. But in that letter is his own death sentence. Notice. And the letter, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Really, this, can you imagine what Joab is thinking? His nephew, remember, they're blood relatives. Because remember, David had a sister named Zeruiah, and her son, she had three sons. One of them was Joab, one of them was Abishai, and the other one was uh, uh, Abishai, and the other one was. Um, Asahel, that's his name. But can you imagine what Joab is thinking to himself? Hmm, what's this about, David? You want me to... And, and, and being his brother, he's faithful. He doesn't know the inner workings. Or maybe, maybe Joab is thinking that Uriah had double-crossed him somehow. So I'm going to put him in the forefront of the battle, and we're going to retreat from him, and he's going get, to gonna get killed. So when David saw that his plan to get his, him to go to his wife and it wasn't going to work, he hatched another plan to have Uriah quickly killed. And he had to do it quickly because he's got to quickly cover up this pregnancy. Because if Uriah is killed quickly, then guess what David can do as the wonderful benevolent king? He can take this widow, poor widow, and bring her into his house and make her one of his own wives and raise up seed for you know Uriah the Hittite. What a... What a, what a guy, right? And again, I love David. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of being hard on him right now because we have to be hard on these things. But he clearly wasn't thinking and, and, and trying to cover up things. So time was of the essence because the child was already beginning to form within Bathsheba's womb. So if he was killed quickly, he could um, raise up seed for, her na- or for his name and, and quickly uh, overshadow all of this. And Uriah would be carrying back the letter with his own death sentence. And, um, and so it was, verse 16, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew where there were valiant men. And the, the, again, the city was Rabbah. And so then this, the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David, they fell, they died. And Uriah the Hittite died also. And then in verse 18, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And he charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to David, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Because these are just general things that you don't do in battle. You don't approach a city really close because they can throw things off the wall. They can shoot very easily when you're closer to the wall. So these are things that David asked for, but Joab knew something was up. But ultimately, Uriah was killed, and that was all that mattered. And do you realize that he actually put these other men in harm's way, and some of them fell as a result of that? So it wasn't just Uriah that David killed. By actually having them do this this stunt, this uh, tactic, he actually had other men died as well. Do you see that? So it wasn't just Uriah. There were a number of other men who died as a result of this. And and notice what Joab tells the messenger. He says, If it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? And who struck Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a millstone, a piece of a millstone on him from the wall, so that he died in Thebes? 
Why did you go near the wall? And then you shall say to him, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now David's appeased. Yeah, I heard about all the men and it really hurt my feelings, but oh, oh, at least he's dead. He's thinking in his heart. At least he's, now I can do the right thing. (laughs) Two wrongs don't make a right. Right? Correct? (laughs) Two wrongs don't make a right. The adultery, the murder, now is he going to make it right? Two wrongs never make it right. So the messengers went and came and told David all that Joab sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. And then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. And the archers shot from the wall at your servants. And some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And then David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Don't let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and so encourage him. And so, um, isn't this amazing? And it would, we would do well to remember, do you remember when Joab first murdered Abner? Abner, remember, was the commander of Saul's army. Remember that it was Abner who killed Joab's brother, Asahel, and so Joab is going to get revenge on Abner, and he kills him in broad daylight in a city of refuge in Hebron, which he wasn't supposed to do that either. But he killed him in cold blood. And and you remember what David said to Joab. And and I want you to see this because this is really interesting. Because if you start thinking and reading the Bible like this, it will really give you a depth of, of, of the relationships here. Because remember, prior to this, David pronounced a judgment, really, against Joab and against his, his seed, against his house. What did David say after he killed Abner? It says, when David heard that he had killed Abner, and this is in Second Samuel chapter 3, verse 28, David says, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab. Yes, his... his uh, his nephew. Let, let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, or who picks up bread. So David had something over on Joab, is what I'm saying. And now guess what? Joab's got something over on David now. He knows that he had this man killed. He understands, and he'll find out later but now he's got the death of a man and, and, and a handful of other men too. He's got something on David now. Isn't that a horrible thing? You know, David probably thought he had the upper hand and you know, he was going to live this good life and now his own blood now has got stuff on him, got dirt on him that he can, he can call the newspapers and tell them of these dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Verse 26 says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent, notice, and brought her to his house. I I can imagine he's probably counting the days when her mourning is over. You know, seven days. Okay, seven days. i got to get her into the house. i got to take her as my wife because there's a little bump starting to show. So David's like, i I got to let her mourn. i got to do this right. 
So David sent and brought her to his house, and she became, notice, his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord was not going to allow David to get away with it. It's amazing. And what I think is even more interesting is how even in this sinful act that God would use this union and through the line of David and Solomon, who would be Solomon would be the product of the relationship between David and, and Bathsheba, ultimately would lead to Jesus Christ being born. Yes, a Gentile woman, a Moabitess, Ruth, and then Rahab the harlot. And now David and Bathsheba a wife that really wasn't supposed to be his. Now, through that lineage comes the Messiah. Amazing, isn't it? The grace of God. In Matthew, we don't have time to go there, but I would encourage you to look at the first six verses of Matthew chapter 1 because it gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ from uh, Jesus Christ, the son of David, uh, the son of Abraham. And so it starts with Abraham and goes all the way to Jesus when Jesus was born. But in verse 6 it says, And Jesse begot David the king. That's Jesse's, David's father, of course. And David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And then it goes on and on and on and lists all these, the genealogy, and finally getting to Mary, or finally getting to Joseph. And then Jesus. I just think that's so interesting. That in spite of all the, the tangled web of human history, that the Lord is, is not, his hand is not too short. <laughs> and through all these people, you know, you think of Rahab, she gets saved. You think of uh, uh, Rahab gets saved. You think of Ruth, the Moabitess, she gets saved. Bathsheba, certainly a believer, in spite of all the mess. You know, the Lord loves to take a mess and clean it up. <laughs> he likes to take a life that's a mess, and he likes to clean it up. He loves to take, I mean, granted, it would be better if the mess wasn't there, don't get me wrong, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Most of us came from a mess. I came from a complete and utter mess, and so did you probably, and you remember those days. We come from a mess, and God says, oh, i got such a great plan for you. I'm going to do such great things in your life. And we're like, I, I don't deserve it. I don't do it. Of course we don't deserve it. But isn't it a joy when the Lord uses us in spite of us? And he loves us, and he's forgiven us. And he, he's like, I don't remember that stuff. Why do you keep hanging on to it? You know, it's like these grave clothes. We hang on to the grave clothes, the sins in our life. We hang on to them long enough, and God's like, why are you still hanging Why? Why are you still thinking about that? Why are you still beating yourself up? Didn't I forgive you like 30 years ago? Why are you you still hanging on to that? Throw it into the fire. It's done. No, but I feel better if I somehow feel I beat myself up enough. I feel better about myself. Then really, who's atoning for your sin? You are. Right? We feel better about beating ourselves up or denying ourselves. I sinned again, and then you, you go through a couple days of afflicting yourselves. You know, walking around with your personal bag of, you know, a flagellum in a bag, and you got it. Instead of a purse, ladies, you got like a little bag of flagellum there, and every day you pull it out, you just whip yourself a little bit, you know, because of the horrible thing that you did that God forgave you, 
and you're still beating yourself with it. Guys, same thing. But notice, when her mourning was over, but notice the thing that David did displeased the Lord. And I said this earlier, but you remember in the book of Numbers, when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, they parked on the east side of the Jordan River, and they were getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they looked at the eastern side of that Jordan River with the mountain range and all the fertile stuff over there, and they're like, you know what? We don't really want the promised land. You guys go ahead and go. We want to stay on this side because there's enough land here for all of our livestock. It looks really good here. We're settled with it. You know, I know that that's probably better, but this is, you know, it's nice. I mean, that's great, but this is nice. We'll settle for second best. And God allowed them to do that. But he says, but you have to go in and help your brothers get the land, and then you can come back and settle. And they did that. They were faithful to do that. But there was also a warning that God gave them. He says, But if you do not do so, if you don't help your brothers before you come back and settle your land, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. That's where it came from, Numbers 32, verse 23. Your sin will find you out. And so, before we go into chapter 12, why don't we stop here tonight? And uh, I think you would agree this is a, a challenging chapter. But I think it's, a, it's always a timely chapter, no matter what. No matter what time you live in. You could live in the 4th century. You could live in the, the 12th century. You could live in the 15th century. You could live in the 21st century. Man hasn't really changed. We continue to do the same things. And that's why this is so important for us, you know, as we look at David. And I love the fact that God forgave David. We'll look at that next week because, to me, the next uh, chapter is uh, slowly we're we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. This is the worst, (laughs) the worst chapter for David because he's being found out. He's trying trying to cover his sin like a dog or a cat trying to cover themselves. But God would not allow it. So I would encourage you to pray. Pray for our let's pray for our own hearts tonight. And pray for those who are in leadership, whatever wherever that may be. Even in our government, in the church, all the positions of leadership. And yourselves too, because guess what? You may not be a pastor, you may not be an elder, you may not be a worship leader, you may not be a Sunday school teacher. But one thing thing that the devil hates is is a Christian who really loves Jesus, who's really sold out for the Lord, who really wants to walk with Him, who really wants to walk in the Spirit. And we become enemies as soon as, you know, I thought I was an enemy to the enemy of my soul before I got saved, but now he's really an enemy because he can't take your salvation away from you. He can't take that away, but what he wants to do is to mar you. He wants to destroy you. 
He can't have you, but he can make your life miserable, and you can give him plenty of opportunity to do it. So I would encourage you not to give him opportunity. And make a, make a, a decision tonight. And, and guys, especially us, but, you know, the shoe fits on, on, on all of our feet, I suppose, but we have to take a look at that and be honest. And not just allow it to be something, well, you may say, well, I haven't done the physical act with a you know, woman, or uh, ladies, you might not have actually gone through the physical act of adultery. But didn't Jesus say, if you even look at a woman, or if you look at a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery? And so it's not really so much about the physical act. It's about the heart and the mind, isn't it? And so we have to take a look at that. And it's a hard thing to take a look at, wouldn't you agree? Why don't we stand and let's, um, let's pray for that. And, um, and just ask God to heal our country and heal the church. Heal this church and every church, all up and down the street here, all the churches in the, in the city, all the churches in America, all the men, all the women who are in a, a positions of leadership. Let's pray for them all tonight. And even our, those in local and state and federal government, let's pray for them. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you, Lord, and uh, as we look at David's life, Lord, we, we see... Lord, that this sin of his and Bathsheba's, Lord, is, is, is happening today. It's uh, front and center before all of us. In fact, there may be some marriages in here and people here who have had marriages that were dissolved because of those things. And maybe some right now going through the hurt of, of, the, of the restoration of trust. Lord, but we're thankful that you are the God who sees, you're the God who loves, you're the God who knows all things. And Lord, help us as men and women of God, men and women of God, Lord, help us to to come clean with you tonight in the privacy of our own hearts. Lord, I, I, I just thank you that, Lord, you would have, you would much rather have dealt with David if he would just came to you quietly, immediately. Lord, help us to not drag our feet any longer, Lord. And like it says in Psalm 52, he says, when my bones are roaring through day and night and my, 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 my pillow is drenched with tears because of my guilt and shame, Lord, may we be those people that are quick to run to you right now. And confess all to you, Lord, that we might be restored and recovered, restored, renewed, filled again. And Lord, you delight to do so. Lord, your mercy and your grace are abounding and they never end, God. We thank you for that gentle heart of yours that we don't see too much in the world. We don't see it at all, actually. But Lord, your love for us is great. And so please cover us tonight, Lord, and give us that gift of repentance where it's needed. And not all of us, and, and perhaps most of us, maybe we don't have a problem with these things. But if we do, Lord, help us to do business with you this very night before we put our head on the pillow and be done with it once and for all, forever. So, Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.